The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to episode 75 of The Things We All Carry. Mike is a 15-year career firefighter and has 17 years as a paramedic. He started his career at a young age as a volunteer. He's also a husband and a father of two young children. I was scrolling through Facebook one day when I happened upon a post from a firefighter in Central Virginia. He was asking for donations to raise money for the Center of Excellence. He wasn't simply asking for money, though. He was asking for sponsorship for a run he had planned. That run would take him from Central Virginia across the Potomac River to Southern Maryland up to the Center of Excellence, making it a distance of roughly 80 miles. After reading his post, I reached out and floated the idea of having him as a guest on the show. After some discussion back and forth and an hour-long phone call, we settled on a day and time. Mike and I sat down together in my apartment and recorded this conversation. Mike shares his early brushes with death and trauma and how those times formed and affected him. He is open about the mistakes he's made, the alcohol he used as an escape, and the road he is on towards recovery. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. Welcome back to The Things We All Carry. Today's guest is Michael, and Michael's out of Central Central Virginia. Um, I'm going to let him tell his story of growing up, what life was like as a kid, uh, where he came from, and how he got into the fire service. How you doing, Michael? Good, sir. How are you today? Doing well. Uh, so basically growing up, um, uh, I grew up just south of the city of Richmond, uh, in a county, uh, grew up single family home, kind of, uh, I wouldn't say low income, but borderline there towards the low income, got an older brother, uh, uh, and never met my father, uh, separated, uh, before, uh, I think I was two years old, so pretty divorced, um, uh, Basically grew up in this county, uh, in, in about the, about the teenage years when I started junior high school, uh, I was considered, uh, I guess if you, if you read a textbook or you, yeah, you know, you looked at like juvenile delinquency, I was considered a troubled teen. Uh, so the guidance counselor, uh, was trying to figure out a way to, to cure my truancy, keep me out of trouble, kind of straighten me up a little bit. Uh, so he referred me to the local volunteer fire department, knowing that they had like a, a cadet program, uh, type deal. Um, and that's, that, that was the, that was the start of the fire service for me. I mean, any, any, any kid or teenager, you know, that has an opportunity to ride fire trucks, it's just to them, it's the, the greatest thing in the world because we all idolized them or we all, or kids idolize us, um, type deal. Um, and, and, and that was kind of the, the, the start of it. Uh, in the fire department, the volunteers as a teenager was kind of on and off. Uh, I was still, you know, like I said, that troubled teenager um you know you, you had to get good uh, get good grades um that was you know something very difficult for me to do at times uh couldn't get in trouble in school um so but but again i got involved in our cadet program um and and, and again that that was the, the the seed of i want to help other people 
I guess is the type deal. Through the cadet program? Yes, sir. Okay. How long did you stay in the cadet program? Oh, wow. It's been so long ago. I couldn't tell you. I mean, it was, it was like I said, it was off and on um, mm-hmm. throughout my teenage years. Um, and with the cadet program, I was also exposed to the rescue squad. Um, so at the age of 18, uh, I ended up joining the rescue squad as well. Uh, just based off of we would we would show up on the fire truck to you know to medical calls and and I wanted to know why they were doing what they were doing uh, to help these people uh, type deal, uh, but as far as like a specific time frame, again it, it was the cadet program itself was hit and miss. Continued to volunteer as an adult uh, for the first few years of my you know after eighteen. Uh, the same thing with the rescue squad uh, before I, I got hired with uh, the the city with Richmond Ambulance Authority uh, as an EMT. Uh, in my early 20s. Uh, did that for a couple years uh, and left. It went back to doing uh, automotive type deal uh, work. But after doing that for, you know, a few years and, and working other various jobs, uh, I wasn't happy. Uh, so I wanted to get back into the uh, medic, you know, the fire and EMS. So I ended up going back to uh, Richmond Ambulance uh, where, you know, I got my paramedic through them. I uh, worked there for a few years before I transitioned over to becoming a career firefighter with the current department that I'm with now. When did you become a career firefighter? So back in 07. Okay. Is when I was hired as a career firefighter. All right. And that puts you at what age? Uh, I was 30, almost, I was either 30, 31 years old. Okay. So you started not early in life, obviously, but a little later than some people do. Yes, sir. It's pretty good. Pretty good time to start, though, if you're looking at 20, 25 year career for retirement. I mean, it leaves you still pretty young. Yes, sir. Um, so what was life like on the ambulance in Richmond? And I I asked this question because all the way back last year, when I did episode one of the show was a a gentleman named Chad and he ran, he ran ambulance services in Richmond and he had, he had quite the stories to tell about Richmond. Uh, Richmond was, believe it or not, I miss working uh, in the city. Richmond is a great place to, to get the experience, um, uh, as an EMT and as, and as a paramedic, uh, because I think Richmond, the city of Richmond is 60 square miles, uh, and it, it, you know, condensed, um, and the, the, the way I like to tell people in my tenure there, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't go a work week without a pretty significant trauma call, traumatic injury call. Uh, and you also wouldn't go a work week without uh, a pretty significant medical call where you, your skills as a, as an EMT and your skills as a paramedic were tested. Uh, so you, you felt like you were doing good, uh, for the people. I mean, you still had the mundane, you know, headache, toothache calls, but you, you had those calls that tested your skills. I, I definitely saw, I mean, I, you know, I always tell people I've seen enough death last me the rest of my life. Like if I, if I never saw it again, I'd be happy. But, uh, the city of Richmond was kind of an eye opener experience to me on how cruel one human being can be to another human being. Um, you know, uh, and just, you know, again, the vehicle accidents, the shootings, uh, you know, uh, house fires, uh, you know, the, the amount of drugs, the, the assaults, I mean, it's just, you know, you saw the worst of the worst uh, it, on a regular basis there uh, type deal. Whereas with my department, it just depends on what station you're at, uh, you know, versus, you know, if you get a call like that. So uh, Richmond kind of, I always tell people that Richmond makes you, it either makes you or breaks you as a provider, either as an EMT. It's either going to make you one hell of an EMT that wants to be a paramedic uh, or it's in a, you know, or it's going to make you one hell of a paramedic that will be, 
the most calm, cool, collective person that walks in and says, okay, this is what we need to do. I need you to do this, you to do this, you to do this. And they don't break a sweat. It's, it's, um, I was going to say funny, but it's obviously not funny. I, I, I mean, ironic because I think Chris used the same term, you know, the, the depths that of almost human depravity of what uh, another human will do to another human. Absolutely. And I think he used that same, same sentence in his discussion about running in, in Richmond. And so to me, it's, it's, it, it's obviously confirming of what he said, which I had no doubts that that's what he meant, but it's, it's just like, it's, it's a shame that, that that's, that is accurate. Um, and he had, he had some of the worst calls he's ever run were, were in Richmond too. And, and he had horror stories to tell about Richmond. And that was even before we got to the real stuff of what he wanted to talk about. And so that's, it's, it's, I, I had a pretty good view of what rich, running EMS in Richmond is like. And so. Yeah. And, and, and again, I'm like, just like the individual Chris, you know, I, again, that's, that's part of my wall of Polaroids, um, you know, uh, of just the horrible shit that we have to see and then the shit that we have to see all the time. I, I like that you and I were talking before we came on, came on air, quote unquote, that that wall of Polaroids is such a good way to put it. And I think that we'll get to that more of that later when we get into, you know, further down the line in the story. But I, I want to, it's kind of a, a catchphrase that I kind of like. So yes, uh, how long did you spend with the uh, EMS in Richmond then? I think total about five years, two years in my twenties as an EMT. Uh, and then about, th and, and then I think it was about three years, uh, where I went back as an EMT and then went through, uh, a paramedic program, uh, and then continued until, uh, the fire service offered me an opportunity. And when did, when did you meet your wife on, along the way here? So I met my wife, uh, after I was a career firefighter, okay. I was still a fairly new firefighter. Uh, I guess I, I probably, I don't think I'd been on the fire department, maybe. Uh, five years and I actually met her in the hospital. So, okay. I didn't know if, if maybe if she would, was around involved with, with you when you were in Richmond or not. That's why yeah. I asked. Yeah. All right. So how do you find yourself on the, as a career firefighter? I mean, when do you make that choice? You, you, you said it, you were, you're about 31 to 2007, but how does that choice come about for you? Why did you just choose to go career? So again, the fire department was what I was introduced to as a teenager. Uh, the fire department came first, the volunteer fire department, and then the rescue squad came second. Uh, cause again, I felt like I wanted to do more, provide more, uh, learn more, uh, about what everybody was doing. Um, so the fire department was always something that, uh, I wanted to do, uh, to be a career firefighter. Um, I just never, I never pushed myself to, to, to truly commit to like the application process. In my early twenties, I applied for Richmond fire and had no idea what I was walking into, uh, with panel interviews or anything and blew it out. To, I mean, it was, I mean, I completely screwed up Tony's. <laughs> so, uh, and it was very disheartening. Um, but then after working, you know, when I went back to Richmond, um, you, Prior to me going back to the city, I just, I was not happy, but, you know, happy with what I was doing, happy with the way, where my life was going. So that's why I went back uh, to get that paramedic because again, it was like, okay, this, this can be, help me as a stepping stone to, to get that career fire service job that I idolize so much. Um, so that was my intentions when I went back, get my LS, get, get, get some good solid, um, uh, experience under my belt and then go back to pursuing that path of, of, a of, of a career fire job. Uh, and again, it just, you know, it, it all seemed to work out like it was supposed to, and that's what happened. All right. So let, take, take me through some of your career. You obviously academy and all that, you take a probationary year, but how do, when did things start building up for you? 
Oh, wow. Or do you even notice it at the time? <laughs> because you and I, we, we, spent a, oh, what, we spent about an hour on the phone one day and we talked about some of your story, but I didn't, we didn't get into particulars. And so I'm not sure how things progress for you in your fire career. Uh, well, it was actually before the fire career. Uh, it was, it was, it was the things I was exposed to, and, uh, you know, in the city, there's some of the calls, uh, and then, you know, you, you never forget, you know, seeing death as a teenager, um, and not in traditional, in, 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 in my personal opinion, not knowing how to process what you're seeing, uh, especially at such a young age. Um, I, again, I, I saw my first pediatric motor vehicle fatality when I was maybe 15 years old uh and it was it was you know uh one pediatric fatality one pediatric that was going to be flown out um the driver was pinned in the vehicle uh with the motor on him uh a teenage girl was partially ejected out of the uh, passenger side trapped in between the b post and the uh and the uh front seat with an, and another adult female just laying on the ground screaming uh and i was the first provider i was the first firefighter volunteer firefighter on scene it was literally right in front of my neighborhood uh, and I just ran towards it, not knowing, not having any medical training, just, I got to be there. I'm, I'm part of the volunteer fire department. And when I was met with the, everything I saw, uh, it locked me up. I didn't know what to do. I just stood there. But again, I was this 15, 16 year old kid, uh, with, with, with no, uh, really no training on how to, how to, how to approach that type of scene. And that, that, that's one that has always stuck with me. I always see, you know, the, I always see the one toddler in the backseat of the car, uh, you know, uh, crying out to me and reaching up. Uh, and I always see the other toddler that, that ended up, uh, uh, deceased in, in the fetal position, laying in the floorboard and not moving. Uh, I can, I can see the teenage girl reaching out to me saying, help me. Uh, I can see the, the adult female on the ground, just, just laying there scream, you know, uh, in, in here. And again, I'm just, there didn't know what to do i'm just standing there just in shock from the scene and then a few minutes later a doctor finally shows up uh he happened to be driving by and he, he's and he's like immediately looks at the driver and is like he's dead and then goes to the other side of the car and just grabs the two kids out of it uh and at this point other units started arriving on scene and i kind of just fell in where i felt like i needed to fall in type deal i, I think we kind of went astray on that topic but i no, you're no, it's perfect. You tell your story. But yeah, that, that was to me, that, that was the beginning of holy shit. Uh, you know, in, in, in my younger years, uh, I, I felt like it was a whole lot easier to pro just to, just not to process it, but to keep it at bay, uh, I guess is the easiest thing. But as time progressed and I started to start to see more and more, uh, again, I continue to keep it at bay and, and, and I'm that, you know, and, and I've told people this and they, they look at me and laugh, I, but I'll walk into a room and tell you I'm the biggest fucking liar in here because I spent most of my adult life up until I had my moment telling people I'm good. I got mm. this, you know, you know, I don't have a drinking problem. I'm not using alcohol to suppress this shit. Uh, I'm good. And I, I lied to every one of those motherfuckers, including my wife including my kids until even though they could see that something had to give one way or the other uh type deal but that was that was kind of the beginning of it um you know and again i mean just seeing more and more of the traumatic stuff um like i said that that particular one just is so impactful uh because that that was like my first true like minor mci and and i've talked about it with with my counselor 
and and I know in in you know in hindsight if that was to happen to me now I would know what to do I would know where to begin the triage process mm-hmm. I would know where to uh, put my hands on first as far as a patient but that was just I didn't know what the hell to do. How old were you again? I, I was maybe 15, 16. Of course you didn't know what to do. And it, it, and it you didn't even know how to drive. Exactly. And I know that, but it's it's still just hard to process. Oh, yeah. uh, but also, you know, again, my my brain or our brains at that, that age are not are not prepared. You know, this, the scary movies we watch and the dumb shit we do as kids don't prepare us for, you know, the, the atmosphere of it. You know, there's always a smell. There's always an atmosphere around uh, trauma. There's, you know, trauma and death uh, that, you know, some people might be more sensitive to it than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the brain's not prepared for that. My first my first uh, DOA as a volunteer, we had to walk in and help to, you know, uh, help the funeral service get this guy out. You know, a guy had been dead on his couch for, maybe a week, uh, yeah. you know, extreme foreign conditions and me being me, I want to get in and see it, you know, and again, but I wasn't prepared for, um, right. you know, it was, it was kind of a, kind of a shock to the system, but, you know, even as a teenager, I, I had that, that macho attitude that I can do this mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not going to talk to anybody about it, you know, when I, when it's bothering me. Um, another one of the foundation ones as a volunteer was my first fire fatality. Uh, was a was a, a person that uh, it was a fully involved mobile home um, that we that that we were told there's probably a body in there. So during the overhaul process, after it was put out, they're like, okay, you know, just be mindful in the overhaul, um, and we're gonna see if we can find a body. And me being that eager one, I don't know why, but I wanted to find it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see it, you know, because I'd never seen it before, not in real life. Um, and we ended up finding them, um, and I ended up being one of the, the firefighters to help pick them up. And one of the things I remember when we picked this, this, this basically torso up that just had limbs, uh, that didn't, you know, basically everything had burnt to the nub. It was like, a, it was damn near an incineration. But I remember the back of the head falling apart. So again, I don't know, I may be 17, 18. If, you know, uh, I couldn't give you an exact age, but uh, I'm picking these pieces of skull up as I just picked up this torso, put it in a body bag uh, and, and, you know, helped it to wherever it needed to go. And two nights later, uh, I woke myself up because uh, I was having a dream that the pieces of skull were on my bed and mm-hmm. I was trying to wipe them off. And yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize at the time, and you couldn't have told me you know, anything before that, that, that was like a sign of PTSD. That was a sign of, you probably need to talk to somebody to process this stuff. Again, I didn't want to be that guy type deal. I mean, those are the foundational calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I, I, like I said, I've seen some horrible shit in the city too. Uh, you know, um, that, you know, like I said, that just always in front of me. You know, two nights after and you start dreaming about that already and you're like, okay, so how, you know, at that time and you do that, you have that dream, it's not dream, it's that you have that nightmare and it's so very real, I'm imagining. What do you do with it at that point? Do you do, did you do anything? I didn't, do, I didn't do anything about it. And I did just, that continue? Uh, nope. It was just the one time. Okay. Um, but it was, it was, a, it was vivid enough to, to, to feel very, very real. Cause again, I, I thought there were pieces of skull on my bed mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm, and I'm waking up brushing them off. Um, 
again, I didn't know any better. I didn't know uh, to, to to talk to anybody. Um, and, and to be honest with you, the times that they did offer CIT to us or, or some type of, of uh, uh, after action review to right. talk about this stuff, I don't know if I was too scared to or just too proud uh, to say, you know, again, I need a little help with this. When you say too scared to, do you think it's because of what the judgment that would come or just scared to open it up and, and see what's actually in there? I think it's both. Okay. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, again, you know, growing up in a single family home, it's a little difficult. Um, yeah, you know, and I was never much, uh, there were certain things that I just kept to myself feelings wise, uh, type deal. Uh, you know, again, mother did the best she could. You know, we had it. We had extended family that always did the best they could. Um, but I don't know why. I just didn't want to. So those are foundational calls. But you, you, you obviously have to add on to those because you have a an extensive fire career following that. Oh yeah, yeah. And and you know, to be honest with you, it's it. They come and go. Um, on which ones bother me, which ones don't. Uh, they come and go on which ones are will come to my forethought and which ones don't. Uh, there's, like I said, there's a lot of like truly, there, there's a handful of truly traumatic ones. Richmond, uh, you know, uh, we had one where a gentleman uh, took a, uh, it, it was the best I could describe as an execution style shot to the back of the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his head was a candy dish. Um, so the entire top of the skull was gone. Uh, and we walk up and I look and I shine my flashlight down. And I'm looking in, inside somebody's head. Uh, and then I looked at the gentleman's face and his eyes were halfway open. And he took a breath. Mm. <laughs> mm. And, 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 no. And I did a 180 and I looked at my partner uh, and I was just an EMT at the time. And he's like, don't worry, it's going to stop in a minute. There's nothing we can do here. And then I'm like, well, where's his brain? You know, just out of curiosity, and and I look, and there's this gob of goo by this by this right. person's left foot. So, uh, but they they continued to breathe for uh, you know a good eight ten minutes. You know, the brainstem just working. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and and to see that was a shocker. Um, I had a three year old that was thrown out of the second story window of a house fire on the south side of the city uh, one night. Um, that was still breathing, still had a pulse, but this this little girl had been baked in an oven. There was there was. I didn't know any better on, on what to do. I mean, she still had a pulse, but there was nothing we could do for her other than take her to the hospital. Right. Um, you know, uh, but but this little girl was, when I showed up on scene, I was the second unit on scene of that call. You're the second or third. And I remember looking at one of the paramedics and I said, what do you have? And she goes, they're everywhere because there were, there were multiple victims uh, and, and fire was still working on trying to get in to get other victims. And I said, just give me the worst. Give me the worst that you have. Uh, and I, and I remember she come running over to me with, with a, a toddler about the size of a three-year-old girl. And she put this girl in my arms and I'm holding it on a, in a burn blanket. And this child, like I said, she had been baked. Um, you know, she looked like a star. Um, I mean, there was, I mean, you know, skin was charred. Uh, most of her clothes were gone and she's still breathing and she still has pulse. So I just turned, told my partner to get in the driver's seat of the ambulance, ran to the ambulance. Got in the back, uh, uh, an RPD officer jumps in and says, what can I do to help? And I said, man, just, just, just back her. Just take this and try to give her a little bit of air. Uh, the pads of the monitor wouldn't even stick to her. We took her to MCV, uh, trauma accepted her. And there was, you know, again, I, I'm standing there, you know, 
what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And there's, you know, basically there was nothing they could do. It was just a matter of let what's going to run its course, run its course. So, uh, yeah, there's truly nothing you can do at that point for the, the extensive, the extent of the, of the damage and the injuries. Correct. Yes. I mean, comfort and, and like you said, to a hospital, yep. even though the hospital is not going to be able to do anything at that point. Yeah. And, 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 and I think what bothers me the most is there was no comfort. There's right. no comfort that I could give. This, this ch- she wasn't even conscious. Right. Uh, in, 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 in hindsight, you can only hope that she wasn't feeling anything at that point. Um, because you know, this, this, if you would, if we would have found this, uh, without a pulse and without a, you know, that wasn't breathing on her own, we would have left her right where she was. You know, it wouldn't even, it would have been, don't touch her right. know, type deal. But, but unfortunately, you know, she had a pulse, she was breathing. So. So let's, let's kind of, we, we don't need to glorify all the calls. Yep. Yes, I sir. mean, just because it's, it's not, it's not, it's not ideal for anybody. Absolutely. Um, you feel free to share whatever else you want to share, but let's talk about what, what led up to, I, I don't know, how do you term what happened for you before you go to the center? Well, how do you term that? Oh, wow. It was until again, the perfect storm. It was, it was, it was, uh, the, the, it was just things that I, I feel like needed to happen to uh, force me uh, to get the help that I needed. Uh, so, sure. uh, in 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 a kind of a an overview, I was miserable as shit at home, uh, and my my home life was falling apart between my wife and I. Uh, and my kids were witnessing this, and I was miserable as shit at work. Uh, you know, uh, and and I was medicating the hell out of myself with with nothing but alcohol and exercise. Uh, to try to, just to try to not be miserable, to not feel bad, uh, to, to not say, you know, Hey, I, I need to talk to somebody, you know, I've got years of stuff that's just compiled on top of me. Um, you know, and, and, and and I'm not, the only relief was the alcohol and exercise type deal. You say it's a perfect storm. Yes, Um, And you say you're miserable at home. Yes, sir. You're miserable at the job. Yes, sir. You're, you're medicated with alcohol. Exercise is, a, is an addiction as well, which I, you know what, that's, that's one we don't really talk about too often is that addiction to exercise. Cause it is an addiction at oh, times. Yeah. And, yes. and, and, and in some ways it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, but it can also be almost a self harm tool as well. And you know, it's, it's, it's funny that you said that because one of the, one of, when I had my moment and I finally reached out for help, I, I looked at. Uh, uh, the gentleman, uh, that, uh, came to my aid and I, I said this morning, I tried to run myself into a heart attack. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. So, right. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to, to have a heart attack back in the woods and, and just be done with it. Yeah. So explain that day, what's going on that day other than the, the, the situation you've just, the, the misery at home, the misery at work, the alcohol. So, uh, well, to, to back up a little bit, when did it, so. Uh, what ended up happening is I, is I left my, I left the fire service uh, career, uh, and I, and I took a job, uh, as a flight paramedic, which is, okay. which was also, which is like my, my, my plan, my, like my dream retirement job. Um, you know, so I walked away from, you know, a supervisor position in the fire department, uh, because I was just so unhappy and, and I didn't know, or, well, I didn't want to reach out for help. Um, I just, I, I thought change is what I needed, uh, and, and, and took this position, uh, and didn't, you know, didn't even complete the orientation process before 
this day in my driveway, um, where, you know, where's, where everything just, just ended. Uh, my wife and I had separated, uh, and I temporarily been living with my brother, uh, and his wife, we've been separated for a couple weeks up to this incident. Uh, it, I had been, again, I had been binge drinking, uh, you know, for a week. Uh, and, and it's funny, I, it was not funny, but I, I tell people, you know, I was surviving off of bananas, Red Bull and vodka for a week, uh, not knowing what to do, you know, do I keep this paramedic job? You know, I just walked away from a, a supervisory position in the fire service that I was so proud to have, but I was so miserable, uh, because everything just was falling apart around me. Uh, so I reached out. Uh, you know, I sent a text, uh, to one of my former shift mates and said, Hey, I, I'm in a hole. I'm sitting here in my brother's driveway, you know, and, and, and I don't know of any way out of this hole. Um, and, and, you know, and again, and then within the hour he's, he's there talking to me, trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, and, and, you know, how good I was at hiding this from everybody that I'd, I'd been staying with my brother and his wife, uh, for a couple of weeks and they had no idea. They had no idea that I was, I was, you know, where, where I was at mentally and physically. They just, they, you know, they were like, okay, he, he separated from his wife, he's, but they had no idea the, just the level of sick right. that I was sick mentally, uh, sick physically, uh, in, 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 I guess the help that I need. Hey guys, quick break right here, just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount, and I appreciate all of you. I have one request, though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. And you look back now, and, and do you... Do you know how you were managing to hide it from everybody? I mean, it had to have been, that had to have been taxing in itself. It, it was, it was very taxing and it's just me, you know, I've always, I've always been, you know, kind of introverted, always kind of kept things to myself, you know, I, I, you know, didn't share a lot of feelings, uh, you know, things of that nature. And, and again, I used exercise and alcohol. So, you know, I would go take off and, and, you know, go for, you know, a five plus mile run, you know, do interval workouts and then, you know, have a few drinks, come back and then, you know, eat dinner and then I'm off to the room and I'm by myself and I'm just, I'm, I'm in there with myself. I'm in my own damn head, uh, you know, and, and, and just, it was a repeat process. So you text your, your, your former shift mate and you say, I'm in a hole. He shows up. What happens? Uh, he is, so he, he, he talks to me. Um, he, he listens, he did, you know, and again, I can't, you know, I can never repay him for what he did. Uh, so again, the goal like this is to pay it forward to the next guy. Um, but he listened, you know, he, he, he listened to, to, to what I had to say. Uh, and then he, he felt like more was needed. So he reached out to, uh, our, our fire department chaplain. He's like, Hey, I think I've reached a point to where you need to come out here. Um, so the next thing I know, the fire department chaplain's out there. Uh, and it was the same thing, you know, he's out there and they just listen, uh, they, they listen to me, uh, you know, and we talked about what was next, uh, type deal. Where, where do we go from here? Um, so, you know, and the goal was to get me detoxed. Um, and then they were reaching out that evening 
to the center uh, to try to see about getting me uh, a place up there in the center. Uh, and and that, that started the, the chain to get me up in Maryland. You know, and you, you, you mentioned that you had left the fire department and you were taking the flight medic position. How does, how does that affect your ability to get into the center of excellence? Were you, because you left with good standing, you're able to get in? Correct. I left okay. with good standing and I was still, a, I was still a union member, still, okay. still paying my dues. Right. Yeah. And that was, and that was one of the things with the fire department when, when I decided to leave, uh, you know, again, it, you know, I was a good employee. Um, and, and, you know, it is, so they, they, they let me know it's at the chief's discretion, you know, up to about a year, if things don't work out by all means, you can come back, mm. you know, uh, if there's a spot in a position available for him. Uh, so that was, that was, that was like a, a, a shimmer of hope type deal, because I knew once, once I knew once the, the center was going to come about, um, I had to, I had to pull back on the fire, on, on the, uh, the flight medic thing. There was no way I could meet their obligations. So with the center, they arrange for your, for you to go up. How long does it take between that time the chaplain comes and they start working on it to, till you're admitted to the center? So it took, uh, it took about a week, a week and a half. Okay. Um, so there's a good gap there. Well, there, there was, there was some, yeah, there was a little bit of a gap, but I think the, I think the, 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 the so the center is, believe it or not, a lot of times they have a waiting list mm -hmm. to get individuals in there. So when I, when I talked to the director, when I ran up there, um, uh, when I did the run up there, they were already in the process of opening up the center on the West coast. Uh, and that was, that was, uh, I was so happy to hear that. Uh, because, it, uh, so I think it, it was, it was, a it was, they had to do with a little bit of the insurance as well. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, but, but, and, and also a spot being open. So how does that progress then? You get up there in a week or week and a half and, and. I mean, it's gotta be a shock to you, right? It was, it, it was, I, you know, I went through, I, so again, uh, I went through detox to get, to, to kind of get me to where I needed to be. Uh, and then he, the, so I, I drove myself up there, um, which I wanted to do because I wanted to see if I was going to actually commit to turning and, and pulling into this place, even though I had an outpouring of support from my, from, from my fellow department members saying, Hey, we want to take you there. And I'm like, Nope, I'm going to take myself. I mean, I, I was getting texts and calls. Hey, we're, we're ready. Just let us know. We'll drive you up there. We'll get you what you need. We'll pick you up, bring you home. But I had to do it myself. Uh, and, 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 and from my area up there, I think it was about an hour and a half, two hours. It was like a commute that, that was to here. Um, it was, it was a long drive to think about a lot, just the same thing coming here, uh, to, to meet and talk with you a, a lot of time, the, the process, am I really going to commit to this? And it's funny because <laughs> I've said the same thing when I'm, when I'm looking for, for your address, I'm like, am I really going to commit to this yet? <laughs> um, but I, but I probably drove past the centers, uh, once I knew where the main entrance was, I drove by it at least five times before I turned in and said, okay, I, I've got to do this. Right. Um, I, they, they were, I knew they were waiting on me. Uh, I knew that I could have turned around and went right the fuck back home and been fine for a week or two, but I would have been right back in the same damn shit that I was in before. I was like, okay, this, this is something, you know, again, you're currently not with the fire department. You, you haven't seen your kids in a couple of weeks, which has never happened before. Your wife, you know, you and your wife have, have not like officially separated, but you've moved your shit out the house. Why not? Let's, let's, let's see what the hell they can do for me. Yeah. What do you have to lose at this point? Exactly. So, I mean, I, you know, you know, 
there's, you know, there's nowhere to go but up. So how's that process start once you walk through the doors? So it was still during COVID. Uh, so again, you know, you, you, you have to, you have to wait, uh, for them to COVID test you. And, and, uh, so, but from the get go, uh, the, the, the staff there, they were again, the most friendliest people, uh, and the most inviting, uh, individuals, um, that are bringing you onto this campus. Um, you know, again, because I drove myself, you know, there was, you know, I had to turn my truck over, turn my keys over. They had to do a search. Uh, and it's, 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 it's like you're going, it's like any facility you go to, they have certain components that they have to do before, you know, medical components and screening mm-hmm. components that you have to do before they, uh, before they could, you know, kind of, I guess, release you to the population, mm-hmm. which, which is not really not a good term for it. Cause that place is more like a resort. Hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's not like your typical mental health facility where you have walls holding you in and you have security all over the place. I mean, you, you know, the, it's, it's. I tell people they need to visit it. Uh, that's one thing that, that I told, uh, my union leader, uh, in, in my chaplain, I'm like, you need to go up there and see what you sent me to do, uh, and see the facility, not, you know, you can visit it online, but it doesn't do justice for walking around that campus, uh, and seeing, but, uh, it's, it, and it's a little different for everybody, I guess, since I came you know, since I came, I didn't have to be detoxed when I got there. Uh, so I only spent a couple of days in, I guess, what they consider their, their medical wing, uh, which they'll have eyes on you for 24 hours. They check on you on a regular basis, uh, to make sure, you know, you don't, you don't have the seizures and things that can come with detox. And, um, and then, uh, then basically from that, you know, from day one, they're introducing you to people, um, you know, you're meeting other firefighters, you're meeting other paramedics, you're meeting other EMTs, and you're kind of just, you kind of, you kind of put in there and, you know, it's, they'll show, the staff shows you around, uh, you meet under other individuals and it's just like, Hey, welcome your family. So in whatever time that falls, if it falls at lunchtime, come on, come on in the cafeteria, you're going to sit down, you're going to eat with a whole shit ton of other people that are just as fucked up as you are, but everybody's just super fucking super inviting to have you there. Um, and eventually you start to fall into uh, a routine. They, they, they have schedules of classes that you'll go to, uh, you know, they, they, they feed you three square meals a day. Uh, you know, your, your allotted recreation time, uh, during, during pool season, they have in-ground pool that's open for use, uh, during your downtime, uh, when you're not, you know, attending classes, um, yeah, there's walking trails. Uh, it's, 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 at least in my opinion, the, the their goal is to get you sleeping on a regular basis to get you on a schedule um and to feed you well <laughs> and work on your mental health in the process but you're you're always going to you're always going to classes with your other peers um to to teach you you know to to help you understand you know PTSD or to help you understand uh you know uh, substance abuse and, and consumption, uh, and they teach you coping skills. Uh, they do one-on-one, uh, you know, trauma with you. Um, again, if you, if you do have that PTSD diagnosis, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 they, they individualize it to a lot of fucking, a lot of people, which to me is an amazing thing. So uh, how long does it take before you start working on, on, 
on you immediately? It, is it like immediate you start working on you and then they come to this diagnosis or how do they come to this diagnosis for you? So generally within the first five days that you're there, if I remember correctly, um, you're, you start to meet the clinicians. Uh, you, you see a medical doctor. They have a medical doctor on site. Uh, they do a you know, physical workup on you. Uh, they do lab works on you. Uh, and then you do uh, a, a mental health intake uh, to determine, you know, what animal are we dealing with here or what animals are we dealing with here. Uh, and, and these are all one-on-one. So, you know, uh, and, you know, and they try to, oops, excuse me, they try to figure out what category to put you in or what group of it, you know, classes you need to start going to. And, and then what one-on-one focus, if that's needed, uh, you need to be, uh, that you need to start. And so... What did they diagnose you with? Uh, so they diagnosed me with PTSD, um, with a side of substance abuse. With a side, huh? <laughs> um, and, and they they labeled it complex PTSD because okay. it's, it's not one particular incident. It, it's it's a layer. It, it's it's just that wall, mm-hmm. that wall of of stuff. Yeah, explain what you mean by a wall of Polaroids for us. So somebody asked me, um, and 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 then working, continuing to work with my counselor um, when we started my EMDR, um, we we reached a point uh, during my EMDR session where she's like, "All right, where's your mind at now?" And I, I said, "Ma'am, I am standing in front of a wall of nothing but Polaroids of death and shift." And uh, and when I say shit, it's 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 not just death. It's it's just the negative stuff that we see all the time. And it's the easiest way for me to describe to somebody that doesn't understand that, that th- this wall that I look at is always in the forefront of my mind. And, and I can just run down this wall and, and pull a Polaroid off and go and tell you that. And, and again, when it, when it, when I pull that Polaroid or when my mind plucks it, the details and smells and, and other, uh, individuals that were involved in that incident just come right back into my forward thought. Um, you know, so, so again, it's that, it, 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 it's a giant wall. It's not like a movie for me. I just, it's like, I can reach out and pick out any damn one I want, but my mind was just doing it for me. So do you come to that term while you're in the center? Is that after the center? Oh, what do you mean? That term of, of wall of Polaroids. I came to that after, okay. uh, cause after I left the center, uh, part of, so the center has aftercare as well. So they set you up with uh, mental health outside, um, in, in any, and if you, you know, if you need substance abuse, uh, continue substance abuse treatment, they, they schedule all that before you're discharged. Uh, so I already had, uh, a, a clinician set up that I was going to meet with, uh, weekly. And it just so happened during my EMDR session, uh, or one of my EMDR sessions is that when she, you know, when she asked me where my mind was at, it's just, you know, I'm looking at my dining room wall and it's, I'm like, I'm standing in front of a wall of Polaroids, man. I was like, not one particular thing is like thrown out at me right now. I was like, I'm looking at them all and I, I don't know, you know, which one to process. Yeah. As I say, where do you start when it's a wall? Exactly. Um, and, and, and again, you know, at least with my, so I'm still new to the MDR, but at least with my experience of it, my mind was going from one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And some of my, you know, greatest fears, um, I even went to, to one of those, which was completely out of right field. You know, when she, when she's like, where's your mind at right now? And I'm, and, and, you know, I'm like, ma'am, I'm holding my son and he's dead. Mm. You know, I was like, you know, that, that's, that's how bad my, 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 I guess that hypersensitivity of, of, you know, in, in everything is. 
So back to your time at the center, what what do you start to attack in the in the center of excellence? What do the doctors and, and the team there, what do they have you do? So they, they again, they want to get you healthy. Um, so again, the big, one of the first questions they ask is, are you sleeping? And if not, they're going to help you sleep. Right. They want to get you because they understand, you know, the fire EMS career is we don't sleep like normal people do. And, and when you've been doing this for damn near most of your life, <laughs> your, your, your sleep rhythm's all screwed up. Um, you know, and mine was so bad that there, there were times where I'd have to come home and have a drink in the morning just to go to sleep. I couldn't turn it off. Um. So that, that's one of the first things is, is, you know, they, they, they want to get you sleeping again. They, they, they do a thorough assessment medical, they do a thorough, uh, psychological assessment. Uh, and then they, and, and from that point, they assign you to a clinician that oversees your, your case. Uh, you meet with that clinician and they, they explain to you how things are going to progress while you're there at the center. Um, you know, what, what groups are going to put you in. Uh, and, and every day was, was very, very scheduled. You know, every day we will, every day you wake up, um, you have grace, uh, depending on what level you are at the center. So, um, for the first two weeks, you know, you're seven days a week scheduled to go to group. So you have, you know, you wake up, you would go eat breakfast. Uh, there were, there, you know, I always wanted to, to, to work out before. So I would get up earlier, hit the gym, um, shower up. And then I'm at breakfast and then, you know, I'm at my first group session and then, you know, you, you, you got about 15 minutes in between group sessions. I think if I remember correctly, you're doing two before lunch and you're doing, you know, two after lunch. Um, again, lunchtime is lunchtime. Everybody's heading off doing their stuff. Uh, and then dinner time, you know, every, after dinner time, that's when everything becomes your time, you know, to kind of relax. But in these groups, you know, I'm an introvert by nature. Um, and it, 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 it takes a few days, you know, at least for me to open up to individuals. It, it takes a few days of, of, of being in these groups. At least it took a few days for me to open up. Um, and, you know, again, everybody's nice. You know, nobody is, nobody's judging. Uh, you don't feel like you're being judged there. Um, but it, again, it, it, it took a few days for me to finally, I was sitting there and I, I don't know which group it was, um, but I looked to the left and I'm like, okay. And I looked to the right and I'm like, okay. I was like, you know what? This asshole's fucked up. That asshole's fucked up. And I'm really fucked up. And so I, 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 you know what? They're sharing their shit. Let me share mine. Because a lot of what they were sharing was very, very fucking similar to what the hell I was going through. Uh, and it's like, holy shit. And you're surrounded by your peers. They get it. They understand. You know, these are other, again, other firefighters and other paramedics that just, you know, they, you can't bullshit them. You know, uh, they know you're fucked up. Uh, that's why you're there. <laughs> yeah, there's no hiding at that spot. Yeah, there was no hiding it. So it it was a relief that I'd that I'd never felt before just to sit in a room with 15, 20 individuals that I didn't know, didn't have a close relationship with, and just throw up the shit that you know I've been dealing with. And it's like, okay, I need some damn help, uh, and and to have that support uh, by complete fucking strangers that the only thing that we had in common was being fucked up, being part of the fire. So for this, you know, I mean, if anything speaks of the brotherhood and the sisterhood of the fire service, I really felt it there. So how long do you stay? That's suspended on you. Um, well, how long did you stay I personally? Stayed, I, well, I stayed for, I stayed for 31 to 32 days Okay, and it was bittersweet. Um, you know, I, I would have loved to, I would love to have stayed 
more. I would love to have stayed longer. Um, but I, but I had to get back to work. You know, I still, you know, and that's what I told them. Um, you know, when, when I talked about discharge, uh, I was like, I, you know, I've got to get back on, I've got to get back to work. They're working on getting me back on the job. Um, you know, I got to get some income coming back in and they were happy with the, the progress that I'd made, uh, when I was there, but it was, it's, it was, it was, there were, there were individuals that I think have been there for a few months. Uh, and there were, there was a, a, what I, there were a few return individuals too, um, that, that came back, um, after being at the center, you know, before I met, I met one firefighter who I, I stay in touch with, uh, from the, from the West coast. Uh, he was a return, uh, very sincere, you know, very nice gentleman. And, and we stay in touch. We ended up being roommates, um, in, in one of the houses before I was, uh, discharged. And I didn't think about it at the time, but I'm thinking, wow, this individual came back, you know, um, you know, I wonder what, you know, what brings you back to something like that? And it didn't dawn on me until I realized, uh, like we had said before, there's no cure for this yet. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's comforting to know that at any point I can call the center and say, Hey, I need to come back. Uh, and it, as long as they have a spot, come on, they're not going to tell you, no, come on back. We're going to work with you some more work with you. We'll, we'll work with you as much as you need us to work with you to get you to where you need to be. Uh, to me, that speaks volumes to their program that you have people that want to go back uh, to that place. And, and, and honestly, I mean, I can see the benefit of this. Uh, you know, every few years, because it, it gives you the ability to mentally reset, mentally focus on yourself, physically reset, uh, and, and, and get you sleeping. It was, it was, again, when I left the center, as bittersweet as it was, I felt great, you know, physically, mentally, I felt like, okay, you know, I've got some, I've got some skills to help me deal with this stuff. Um, you know, I've, I've been sleeping damn near every night for the last month. I've been working out damn near every day for the last month and, and, and a healthy workout versus the unhealthy <laughs> that I was doing. Um, you know, it speaks volumes. Uh, and, and like I said, they, they, they're just so super, they're, they're just so supportive to, to us there as first responders. Um, and they, and the, and the individuals that, that we work with, they, they have an understanding of the animals that we deal with. Um, you know, they, they had a few that I know had, had, a, uh, had a fire and EMS background that were on staff, but even the ones that didn't have that background from my understanding, were still required to go ride, uh, you know, on a fire apparatus or ride on an ambulance that they have hundred. So again, so they know the animals that they're dealing with when it comes to us. So what does your, for, I don't know, lack of a better word, what is your reintegration into life? What's it look like? <laughs> I mean, cause now you're coming back. Because you're still separated from your wife or no, there, no, no, there were amends while you were in the center or there, how there, did that work? There were, there were amends after the center, uh, and it, because this was, this was, uh, this was just as much as an eye opener to her as it was to me. And especially with the PTSD diagnosis, uh, and, and her, you know, looking into the PTSD stuff, she goes, holy shit. Now I get why you, you know, why you were the way you were, um, and so we decided, so it was a baby step process, but we decided to, 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 uh, to eventually bring me back into the house. Uh, and, and we've been back together ever since we've had good days and bad days, but well, that's going to be anywhere. Yep. That's, yeah. a, that's a marriage. Um, so my integration back, um, again, I, when I, I can tell you physically and mentally, you know, when I, when I came back, I was, uh, you know, I, I couldn't 
tell you the last time I felt good like that. Uh, because, because again, I, you know, it, it was all about me for that month that I was there, uh, you know, uh, and I had the ability to reset. Um, there was a, there was a, a, a couple months, um, before I returned to, to the department that I'm with, uh, cause there had to be a meeting with the chief, uh, cause it, it was at his discretion to bring me back, but, but they were on, that was already in motion, uh, to bring me back. Uh, so there was just, you know, you know, a couple of friends of mine helped me out with, uh, just a quick little easy side part-time job for me to start bringing in some type of, some type of money. Um, you know, to, 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 to help my wife out with the kids and the mortgage and, and things like that. Um, and then there was still a continued, well, while I was at the center and then after I left the center, there was still a continued outpouring of, of, uh, certain, of, well, of individuals wanting to help, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, again, that I never would have thought would have been the ones to step up to help me or to help my family, you know, to feed my family. Um, the, the union, the union itself definitely stepped in tremendously. Um, in, in throwing in, in, again, assisting with, uh, uh, any funds that my wife needed at home. Uh, they definitely, uh, you know, assisted with funds, uh, with the insurance, uh, and, and, you know, me not being the biggest union involved member, I think it's a, you know, wonderful benefit to have that and have those individuals to be able to help in a situation like this. So how long does it take you to get a back on the job? Okay. And back in the house. So when you mean back in the house, back in the firehouse? No, back to your house. Oh, back to my <laughs> Yeah. 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 No, no. Uh, so it, it, I think I was, I think I was back, to, I was back to my house before I was back on the job. Again, it was, it was, it was a couple months. Um, uh, and again, so my wife, you know, so somebody had to watch, you know, I helped out with watching the kids. So she would, she would go to work, you know, I would, I would come to the house, try to help do whatever needed to be done. Ironically, my washing machine decided to take a shit, you know, in all this. And, and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go buy us a washing machine. And she's like, well, I don't need you to buy one. I was like, well, I don't want you or the kids to not have a washing machine. Right. Um, and just, we, you know, we, we, it probably took. It probably took about a month, uh, for me to get back in the house. Um, you know, and, it, and, and my wife, it, we were both just as leery. Um, you know, I, it, I'd put her through some shit, uh, dealing with my own shit. <laughs> um, you know, so she was just as nervous as I was, uh, about us, you know, coming back up under the same roof, uh, type deal. I can tell you my kids were ecstatic, uh, cause they, you know, they were happy to see me home, but they hated to see me leave, uh, you know, in the afternoon, especially after they just spent, you know, almost two months not seeing me, which right. has never happened before. Uh, so again, we decided to, to to give it a shot and see what would happen. But, you know, there were some, trying to remember the term we used, there were some boundaries that were set mm -hmm. on both our parts. And that's another thing I learned when I was at the center is you, 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 you got to set your boundaries, uh, and, and, and hold firm to those boundaries. And it, 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 and there weren't any like extreme boundaries, but they just needed to be there. Hey, when I need my, you know, and, and the, the, the simplest one for me is when I need to go for a run, I need to go for a run. If it's not, detrimental to, you know, something going on here at the house or something with the kids, I need to go for a run. I need to go for a run for a reason because I need to go process some stuff <laughs> type deal. Uh, and I think, I think with maybe, maybe a month or two after that, uh, or maybe three months after that, after, you know, again, talking with the union, um, and then finally getting in to meet with the fire chief, um, the rehire process was, uh, 
again, it, you know, it, it was a couple of weeks. I had to be re-outfitted, re-uniformed, um, and then, you know, uh, had to wait to that magic HR date, you know, for payroll right. and things. Uh, and then, you know, so that happened. I already had my station assignment, uh, and then I was basically back in, back on the job. And so what do you say, what do you think, I don't know, what was right and what was wrong about how you came back into life? Oh, wow. You know, wrong, I don't know. I mean, we like to think that this is a fix. And, and again, it's not, like I said, there's no cure. Um, uh, and, and I had that false sense of, you know, I'm cured. And it's like, no, you're not cured. You're just coping and dealing better. Um, the right coming back into it was the shit that they taught me at the center. I wish I would have learned as a damn teenager, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, as, as simple as some of the, the mindfulness training, uh, yeah. and things that they, that they, that they help, you know, help you with, assist you with and get you doing. Is shit that, you know, again, if you would have taught me that as a teenager and I would apply that stuff throughout my, my, my young adult life, I've probably been doing a whole lot better. Um, so the, the, the right was, I, I walked out of there and I, and I, I walked back into, uh, my personal life. Uh, I walked back into my, my fire service career, uh, definitely with a, a, a better understanding of myself. Uh, a different outlook, uh, of myself, a different outlook of the fire service, um, you know, in, in a better way of coping things, um, you know, a, a different way of thinking, I guess is the easiest thing. And so you, you go back to the firehouse. Yes, sir. And what do you decide to do with, with this new lease on life? So just like anybody, I was on fire for the choir. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, I talked to people, uh, because people, people had questions, you know, mm -hmm. some people knew, some people didn't, um, you know, it seemed like, you know, it was, it's the fire department. It's like freaking junior high. There's all kinds of rumors and shit like that. You know, people are like, Hey, he left to be a flight paramedic. You know, they're like, they thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And, and, you know, and I'm like, well, yep. But the perfect fucking storm happened. And I was like, let me tell you what happened. Uh, and so I started to share my story, um, with, with individuals, it, right, wrong, or indifferent, you, you know, just like anybody, you, you know, you're like, holy shit, I just experienced this. I want others to know that there's an experience out there like this, that they're having issues. Um, and it, it's funny, you know, again, I, I, when I talked to individuals, you know, most of them were receptive. Most of them were like, wow, we had no idea, uh, that you were going through that. Cause again, like, you know, like we mentioned, like, like we mentioned earlier, I'm the, you know, that asshole hit it well until I couldn't. Um, and then, you know, there was, there was a few occasions where was, there was awkwardness. And we, we had mentioned that before when talking about uh, the sticker, the stigma. Uh, you know, it's almost like they're, they're like, holy shit, I don't know what to say to this. You know, number one, they never saw it in me because uh, I'm, you know, again, people know me in my department. You know, I've been on for, you know, almost 20 years. Um, you know, people know who I am across all three shifts that are like, we had no idea. Uh, and, and I think people, some people just, they didn't know how to take it. So it's just like, you know, glad you're doing better. And that was it. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's an awkwardness sometimes to, to a finding out about a mental health issue and B definitely talking about it. Sure. Because it also what that does is it forces it when I talk to you, it forces me to go, Oh, wait a second. I see that in myself. Yeah. 
And that, that's, that's what everybody does. It, whether you want to admit it or not, you start to see, oh, wait a second, I, I'm doing a little bit of that myself. <laughs> so, yeah, of course, there's some there's some awkwardness to it. There is. And, and, and at first there was, you know, at, at first I was a little... Uh, a little, I guess, a little, uh, stand, a little jaded by it, but I, but again, I can understand. You know, um, it, it, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, people start reflecting on them on themselves uh, when they hear somebody else uh, start talking about the stuff that they're going through. And and I was that individual that when somebody would when, when I'd hear about other people going through similar things or worse things, you know, it's just like I. I I didn't want to approach it because I, I didn't want to call out my own damn faults mm-hmm. um, and lay my own damn faults on the table for other people to see. Uh, and that's, and again, that's why I call it, you know, the perfect storm of events that just had to happen. That was, that was like, all right, asshole, you got to start, you got to fix this. Number one, uh, number two, you know, just lay it on the fucking table. You know, at the end of the day, you know, what people do with it is what they do with it. You know, um, if I, and again, if I can, my goal is not to save the world. I don't want, I don't even want to save the world, but if, if one individual reaches out to me and says, Hey man, I, I need to talk. This is where I'm at. I got you. All right. I, you know, I'm not going to put myself in your shoes, but I got you. There's resources out there. If you are willing to let me help you guide those to those resources, because that's just exactly what they did for me is, you know, they, they weren't like, we understand because they don't understand, you know, I, right. you, you, you don't, you, you're never going to understand each individual, but Hey, let's get you here. Let's see if you're willing to do this. Um, and, and let's go from there, uh, type deal. So what are you doing today? What, cause I know there's a very specific reason why I reached out to you and yes. do you want to explain what, what you did there? So when I was at the center, uh, I, you know, I knew about ultra marathons before I went up there, but when I was at the center, uh, I read a book. Uh, from an individual that had a very questionable uh, childhood and upbringing uh, that, you know, went into to, uh, the ultra marathons that he started doing. Uh, and I did a little bit of research on it myself. And, and so while I was there, I committed to, that I was going to run an ultra marathon when I left the center. Um, and because I wanted to see what they were talking about from the mental health aspect of an ultra marathon, they say at some point uh, in that run, uh, depending, you know, it, it, it's going to hit you at some point to where you just find yourself in a zone. There's no, there's no beginning. There's no end. There's no, you know, pain. There's no, you know, feelings that you're just existing in the space that you are currently stepping in. And it's this very, very surreal, hard to describe feeling. And I wanted to experience that. Uh, but also when I was at the center, I had the notion of, okay, if I can get this one ultra marathon under my belt, maybe I can run to the center, you know, from a fixed point, uh, in, 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 you know, number one, to say thank you to them, uh, for what they did for me. Uh, number two, to take myself out of my comfort zone, which I did, um, and, and vocalize that, Hey, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this ultra marathon, uh, to, you know, from this point to hopefully to the, the, the center of excellence in Maryland, uh, as my way of saying, thank you, uh, for helping me, uh, through my struggles of PTSD. And I'm putting this shit on social media for the fucking world to see, which is something that I've never done. I've never done before. It's like, <laughs> um, and I said, you know what, let me try to raise a little bit of money for it too. So basically I'm throwing on social media that, Hey, this isn't, you know, I got PTSD. Uh, you know, this is what I'm going to do. You know, please feel free to donate. This is what day I'm going to start. Uh, this is a location I'm going to start at. 
Uh, you know, if you want, feel free to help out. If you want to help out at any any point, my wife and kids will be my road crews for this incident. Uh, and this is my end goal: uh, is to to reach the center the next day uh, and to personally thank them. Uh, and I reached out to uh, Mark, the director up there, and I said, "Hey, Mark, this is what I want to do for you guys." And I said, "This is what I've got going on." And I said, uh, "Number one, I don't want to be disruptive to what you've got going on up there." I was like, "But I want to personally do this to to thank you and your team." Uh, and he was like, absolutely, let me know what you need from me. Um, and, you know, very supportive on his end uh, type deal. And 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 I did it. Um, I didn't run the full uh, 75 miles. Um, my body decided to stop me <laughs> before I reached that point. But, I, but again, I, I ended up going a little over 50 miles, 13 and a half hours in. Uh, before I took a hard break uh, and got a couple hours of sleep uh, and rehab. And then uh, I was dropped off three miles out from the center and then kind of limped it in the rest of the way from there to to, to walk on that complex, uh, not being fixed, but, and, and, but, but thanking them for helping me to better understand myself, better understand the things that I'm going through and, and, and offer me ways to, to help cope and deal with it. So what was the ultimate goal? To, it was to raise money. Well, the ultimate goal did was- you, Did you identify a goal money-wise? I did. I, I just put a figure. I uh, started a GoFundMe again. I'm not tech savvy. This, right. this was all new to me. So I, it's like, hey, you know, I, 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 you know, all my social media had a GoFundMe, you know, up to $1,000. Um, ended up raising, I think it was $620 um, at, at the end of everything. So I was <clears throat> so I was able to present Mark. Uh, my wife and I were able to present Mark, uh, the director, with a, with a check for six hundred and twenty dollars. It went directly to the found. It went directly to the center, mm -hmm. uh, which he, you know, they use for uh, individuals that don't have the money to pay for certain things. Um, so now my goal is hopefully to do this annually and just to continue to raise funds for them. But I'm a, I'm. I'm going to work with my union for the next one to make this a more publicized, uh, a more publicized event. Change the route to make it a little bit more safer. <laughs> Whoa, uh, yeah, you, you, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Running up three hundred one, uh, you know, by yourself uh, from from Hanover, Virginia, trying to make it to Maryland was, again, you know, I, I don't think I've really. I, you know, was able to get in my head until 1130 that night when I was in Fort AP Hill and there was absolutely no traffic on the road. I'm like, okay, here's that moment. And it's like, all right, I don't have to let my, I can let my guard down. Right. Um, but it, it, it was an experience. It was very, very humbling uh, to push my body uh, that hard. So what are you doing today when you, because you're still running on the job. Correct. You're still seeing shit. You're still down there coming home going, that was fucked up. What are you doing today to make sure that that stuff doesn't haunt you and that doesn't add to that wall of Polaroids? Well, unfortunately, the wall of Polaroids, is, as long as I'm in this job, is going to continue to grow. Um, so the alcohol is definitely out of the question uh, because that, that's not going to help. Um, my, again, the center helped kind of refocus how I think. Um, so when I when I wake up in the morning now and I say my morning prayers, uh, how I want to say them, how I want to talk to whoever you want to call him, God, your higher power, but I talk to him like I would, I talk to him like I mean it. Uh, you know, uh, when I say them, I mean them. They're, they're actually meaningful prayers uh, that I carry with me throughout the day. And, and um, you know, again, and in, in also just some of the simple 
phrases that the center taught me. And again, as simplistic and as like, uh, you know, childish as it sounds to walk around and, and say, you know what, what other people eat don't affect the way I shit. You know, another person's perception of me is their fucking problem. I'm responsible for me. So if you want to, you know, so judge me all you want. I don't care. At the end of the day, you know, I'm responsible for this. And, and I'm constantly reminding myself of these things. Uh, you know, these, the, again, these are my morning prayers. These are when my feet are hitting the road and I'm, I'm going for a jog. These are my conversations that I'm having um, with with my higher power, uh, you know, amongst other things, uh, you know, and these are also things that I'm sharing with my two children because they weren't, sh they, they weren't shared with me when I was a young child. Uh, they weren't, you know, or as a teenager, you know, I didn't have a lot of people saying, Hey, you can be anything you want to be. You know, I had school administrators that were like, you're either going to end up in prison or dead when you, when you, when you turn 18, you know, uh, because again, that's how difficult I was. <laughs> As a child, instead of, you know, again, trying to figure out how to reinforce this kid to do better, you know, type deal. Uh, I mean, it, it, that's the constant thing. Uh, you know, again, I, I, I still exercise. Um, you know, that's just me. Again, it's another addiction of mine. But it's, 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 it's mentally looking at things a whole lot differently that, you know, again, you know, there's life outside the fire service. I love the fire service, but I've got two, I've got, you know, I've got two small children at home that deserve a better father. Uh, well, they deserve a father, uh, again, you know, as compared to me have never met my, you know, meeting mine, um, you know, they, they deserve that role model, that figure in their life. Uh, and, 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 and as tiring as it is sometimes, you know, it's something that, that I'm committed to doing. Um, and also my goal is to, you know, I have, I'm, I hate to say I'm still healing from running over 50 miles, but my goal is also every, every ultra marathon I run, I'm, it, 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 I'm going to throw it on social media and be like, Hey, I'm doing this for, for us, for, for, you know, us with PTSD, first responders with PTSD, you know, remind people that the center is there, remind people that there are resources that are there. So those are, those are other things that, that I'm, I'm committed to doing, um, uh, to, to kind of just to keep me on track. So you walk into, say you walk into to an academy class, and I don't know how large your classes are in your in your department. I can, for example, we might be thirty to fifty people for an academy class, yeah. and you've got these young faces, or maybe not so young in my case, looking at you, and they don't know exactly. They don't know what they don't know about the job. Sure. Give me three things you're going to tell them. <laughs> uh, let's see. Greatest job in the world. Okay. There is life outside this job, all right? Remember that. So you got to take care of yourself and exactly what your freaking, exactly what your sticker says, just fucking talk. Don't hold the shit in. You know, it's this, this isn't, I mean, the, the, the machoism of this, you know, it's going to catch up with you. So don't get to the point to where there's a no return, you know, things on this job are going to bother you. Just, just talk. Solid advice, actually. All three of them. I mean, honestly, yeah, it, it is a great job. It, it's a job that'll take its toll on you, but it's a great job. Oh, it is. It is. And I, I have no regrets with the fire service. No regrets. Uh, again, uh, at any point in the fire service, do I regret anything that I did? Um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, serve as a, as a, as a, uh, an instructor, you know, in academies, I had, I had the opportunity to, to oversee academies, uh, in, uh, you know, 
I get to ride in charge of, of engines. I get to continue to be a paramedic uh, and do good for people. I mean, there's there's no regrets for it whatsoever, but it was it consumed me. It was me. The fire department always came first. My family and myself always came second. And that's that's another thing that it's 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 a different way of uh, how I look at things now. My you know, I will come first before the fire service and my family will always come before that as well. Because uh, I, I definitely put them on the back burner, and and and, the, and that's my fault. I own that. The fire department didn't ask me to do that. I was just willing to do it, um, and it didn't help my marriage any at all. So, so any parting thoughts you want to give? Because I want to make sure that you're. Because we did cover a few things that we talked about, yes. and I just want to make sure that we don't miss something that you might have wanted to talk about that I've forgotten to add in here. The big thing is, you know, like I said, this is, this, this is new for me and experience, uh, to, to sit here. Um, and you know, you want these, you want this to go perfect. You want to say the perfect things, the right things, uh, because you want at least one person to go, I need help. Let me, let me, let me, let me, you know, I'm walking down the same path as this guy that just, you know, is throwing his shit out here for anybody or mother to listen to. And he went and got help, and and it helped him. Um, if, again, if you need to help, you, you've got to make yourself vulnerable, and that is one of the most uncomfortable mm. fucking things I know that I had to do. Um, so I can imagine anyone else is you got to let you you got to make yourself fucking vulnerable. Say something, get the help, and then let them help you. Because if you don't, I mean, the end result, you know, there, there could be no return from that. You know, again, be vulnerable about this shit, you know, and, and, and just talk to somebody, ask somebody, you know, and if somebody is, if somebody judges you for expressing that you need to talk, you have questions, something's bothering you, that's an individual that you don't need in your fucking life. And at some point, you know, I never would wish ill on anybody, but if they were, uh, I would hope they never reached as bad as I did, but if they did, you know, I would still be there for him, but you know, at some point it's going to catch up to all of us. So I know we talked about two questions. Yes, sir. I'm going to add a third in and I'm going to, yeah, <laughs> it's my show. I'm allowed to do it. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I want to know what the last song is you've heard. The last song I've yeah. heard. What's the last thing you listened to? Ah, oh, shit. It was, it was, uh, it was, damn, it was an 80 song coming up here. Uh, again, I scroll through the radio stations. Whoever sings that song, don't you forget about me. Oh, Simple Minds. Simple Minds. That's yeah. it. It was Simple Minds from, coming up from here. the classic of Breakfast Club. Yep. Yep. Yes. That's that's the I mean, it's was it wasn't just from the Breakfast Club, but that's what everybody knows it from. Yes. Sir. If you haven't watched a Breakfast Club, I'm dating myself. <laughs> so go watch it. It's worth it. All right. And I explained to you I always ask somebody about an everyday carry. And the reason I do that, and, and I've gone in a couple of times and described it on shows, but I based this show off of a novel called The Things They Carried, and it's by Tim O'Brien. It's, it's a Vietnam-era novel, and it talks about a platoon and what they carry into battle and then what they carry out of battle. So they're carrying equipment in, but obviously they're bringing something out that is attached to them. Uh, so I like to ask, you know, what's an everyday carry that, that something, if you leave home, you're going to feel naked without? My morning prayers. I, I, when you mentioned them in the, in the, when you were talking, I said, I bet that's where he goes with it. Yep. 
Um, and, and, and there's, there's, there's a particular way that I start these prayers in the morning, um, at home, uh, and at the fire service. Um, if, and if I don't do that, uh, I'm off kilter. Makes sense because it's something that kind of centers you, I imagine. Exactly. Yes, sir. All right. What about a book? Uh, what have you read lately or something that stands out to you from the past? Anything that can give some value to the listener? So, again, uh, I know a lot of people read this, but uh, I read David Goggins, uh, Can't Hurt Me. Um, again, you know, can't compare myself to that guy, but I'd love to fucking meet him one day. Um, that, you know, just, just reading a story. And, that, and that's that's what introduced me to uh, to the ultra marathon and actually, you know, pushing pushing yourself physically to get yourself to where you need to be mentally um, and then vice versa. Uh, and then the current book I'm reading I can't, is 12 Simple Rules of Life. 12 Simple Rules of Life. Yes, sir. Uh, and I, I can't remember the author, but he's a psychologist. Um, it's, 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 it's a little bit of a tough read, but, but it's, it's almost like that this book needs to be, you know, part of a, a school curriculum to kind of help you cope and deal with day-to-day things type deal. Okay. Well, I'll find their author and I'll put it up on the show notes. So. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Man, I appreciate it. It was that was simple. From walking in here saying you've never done it before, you just did an hour and twenty minutes, and, oh, and it, time flew by, didn't it? Well, the big thing too, uh, if I can be a resource, um, like I said, I, I, I by no means am an expert. I by no means uh, have any like mental health training outside of of being a paramedic uh, and what I've learned in that. But I definitely know that there's avenues for us. Uh, so I'm, you know. I don't know how you do this, but, you know, again, I'm, you know, I'm on Facebook. Um, you know, I can be reached that way. Uh, if somebody ever needs to talk, if you ever need to talk, uh, if you ever want to talk to me again, um, you know, uh, you know, reach out to me. Awesome. I appreciate it. I appreciate the, that. I appreciate you coming on the show and, and the fact that you've made this kind of a 180 change for yourself is, is wonderful. Yes, sir. It's, so. it's never ending though. It's, it's. You know, it, it, it's a never-ending battle. I just, I'm fighting it a, a whole different way now. I think that we we talked about that when we initially spoke. Is that you're not cured. You're you you've learned the tools to help yourself deal with the same stuff that you see each day. Yes, sir. So, all right. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I think we'll end it right there. Absolutely. All right, we're out. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.